0: sermon will respond to the gospel of salvation with Psalm 147, stanzas 1, 2, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have a little under a month before we celebrate Christmas, and this is always a very wonderful time of year when normally we get to spend time together with loved ones and we enjoy all of the traditions, whatever Christmas traditions that have become a part of our lives, and as we do this, it can be somewhat difficult to hold off the tendency that we may have to to focus on the kinds of things around Christmas time that the rest of the world on, focuses on uh, during the holiday season. We, of course, look forward to having certain meals with one another, certain kinds of food. And even around the holidays, there are certain smells, smells like cinnamon and, and Christmas-scented candles and things like that. We're excited to, to put up Christmas lights and, and set up the tree and go shopping and, and hear Christmas music again, all of the things that, that sort of touch our soul and make this time of year especially Christmassy. And no doubt it's not just those things themselves that we love so much, but it's because those things, those things are reminders, reminders of the precious time that we are able to spend together as loved ones, as family members. But as we begin to enjoy all of those blessings that accompany this time of year, it's also very necessary, it's very good that we remain focused on why we celebrate. It is a precious time. It's a time for joy. And this is because God himself came into the world in a miraculous way. He showed himself To us, as he never showed himself to his people before. The Christ, the Messiah, was born. And he came in order to bring us back to God, in order to restore us to him. Jesus Christ gave us the wonderful gifts of righteousness and everlasting life. And now we celebrate this, we celebrate his coming. And we live in, a new, in the new reality of a world that is being restored by King Jesus, the Messiah of God. All of Scripture, all of God's revelation points to this work of Christ. And in our own congregation in Providence for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on this particular aspect of Uh, of Christ's work in preparation for, for Christmas, we want to understand how God's people were so desperate for him to come. We want to see how God's people, before the coming of Christ, how they were being prepared for his arrival. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was coming as our Savior, the one who holds the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And so this morning we're going to see one of those aspects. We're going to see how God cared for his people through others, through forerunners of Christ who held these offices in the Old Testament. There were many prophets, priests, and kings in the history of Israel. We'll see how they were a great blessing for God's people, but also how ultimately they were not able to bring about what God's people truly need. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so today, this morning, we're hearing God's word concerning Christ's office as prophet of God, the one who reveals God to us. Now, at at some point in your lives, so you either have already encountered uh, or you will encounter people who believe that you know, something like this, that, that all religions are the same in some way. At least, you know, they would say that at least all the religions of the world are trying to accomplish the same thing, and to some degree they can all be successful in what they try to do. And this is an idea called religious pluralism. Pluralism, so there's a plurality of religions. Many religions, and pluralists are convinced that all of the religions of the world are equally valid. Nobody can say that you know. I hold to this particular religion, and mine is better in that it does something that that yours doesn't. Pluralists will use sometimes you know illustrations like uh, a bicycle wheel. You know what a what a bike tire looks like. Uh, you have a wheel. There's there's uh, rubber on the outside, and there 's a hub in the center, and then between the 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 wheel, the rim or the rubber on the outside and the hub in the middle, there are all of these spokes that that connect the two and and that 's what gives the wheel its its form and Pluralists will say something like this: God is like the hub he 's like the hub, the axle at the center of the wheel, and all of us, everybody in the world is the, the, the people on the outside. And the religions of the world are sort of like spokes on the wheel. You know, on a bike tire and on a bike wheel, they all look the same. But they would say, okay, religions, they're all very different. They have uh, different ways of life, different teachings, what, different differences in what they call the truth. But the fact of the matter for them is, is that every single religion... Like a spoke on a wheel, it connects us on the outside to God in the middle. And every single religion is able to do that. Every single one is able to do that. So ultimately, it doesn't matter what religion you subscribe to. You're going to end up at the same place, at, at God in the middle. According to them, they would say, in the same way, Christians seek after the Lord God through his son Jesus, uh, Muslims seek Allah, Buddhists seek uh, a state of nirvana, and they would say all, all people are actually trying to reach the same thing. They can't all reach the same thing because it's all the same God or force or idea or whatever you want to call it, it's all the same. And even even philosophies that don't assert some sort of, personal God. They're all seeking the same sort of resolution. It's all the same. Everyone wants to be free of being oppressed by the things of the world. Everybody has this desire to to try to rise above earthly circumstances, and everybody wants to participate in something that is beyond oneself, and they want to try to find fulfillment in in either the pursuit of that or actually in attaining that, whatever it is. That's what religion is for, for those who see it as a sociological phenomenon. They're all doing the same thing. And that would be true. That would be true if one other thing were true. If it were true that God were not real, if God were not a personal being, if God never made a personal relationship with people, if God never showed himself to people, well, then all that other stuff, that all those ideas that pluralists hold, those could be valid ideas. But there's a difference. Well, and, and that's because in that case, then all religions would have this very important thing in common. It, it would mean that every religion is just human beings coming up with ideas and, and forming ways of life that, that try to get us unstuck from rotting our lives in, in the world. They would all be human inventions that try to lift people up and bring them to something greater. But here's the difference And this is why Christianity is different. And this is because God himself, God himself has done something. God himself has done something in the world. He has shown himself. God has uncovered himself. He has revealed himself to his people and he has brought people into a relationship with him So that we can actually know him. The Bible isn't a collection about of of people's ideas about God. The Bible is God actually saying, This is who I am. This is truth, where every other religion is a myth or conjecture. This is an astonishing reality that it's very easy for us to take for granted. God has given us the gift of letting us know the truth about him. God has made it so that we can understand him. God is letting us have not just knowledge about God, not not only can we know reliable facts about him, that's true, but even more wonderful than this, God is giving us a familiar knowledge of him. The way that family members have a familiar knowledge with each other. We don't just know about God. We know God as he is. We know him. That's astonishing. So the question this morning is how has that been made possible? How can people possibly know God? Well, in the history of God's relationship with his people... He has revealed himself to them primarily through the prophets. His prophets. So this is a special revelation. God himself, all of his invisible divine attributes are, are able to be made known through creation. We can read that in Romans chapter 1. But this is his special revelation where he can make himself and where he does make himself personally known To people. His prophets were responsible for teaching God's people whatever he wanted them to know. God would raise up a prophet, he would give this prophet instructions, and he would say, Go and tell the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, or thus says the Lord. And we have to stop here again and just consider how thankful we must be for that truth. With other religions, you never know how a God may feel about you. You never know whether he hates you or loves you, what his intentions might be. And so it's, it's sort of a gamble about getting on this God's good side. We hope he likes this you know, sacrifice or this offering or, or whatever, whatever it may be. Try to figure out what makes this God happy or angry, and there's no guarantee And it would be pretty terrifying to live in that sort of state of uncertainty in the the face of someone, some being who has such power over your lives. But our God is different. He does something remarkable. He says to us, he comforts us, I'm actually going to let you know the thoughts that I have for you. That's something that's so remarkable in the recorded prophecy of God in his word. It's like we're getting a peek into the very mind of God. These are the thoughts that I have for you. I'm going to teach you what I'm really like. I'm going to teach you my character. I'm going to give you very thorough instructions about about how this relationship is going to work. And everything I teach you is reliable, and if you can follow these things, it will be well between us. This is, this is God sort of giving a cheat sheet about how to live with him. It's remarkable. And he says too, and, and if and when you fail to do all of this, if and when you are living contrary to me, well, then I'm not just going to destroy you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to warn you. And you can be sure through all of this that my love for you will never fail. I am the Lord. That's the message. That's the message that God gave continually through his prophets. And Moses Moses is celebrated as one of the greatest prophets that God has ever sent to his people. We read in Exodus chapter 33 how he would do something really remarkable. He would go into the tent of meeting and consult with God about various things. In uh, verses 10 and 11, we read here, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. And then we read this, The Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face, as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. He would come back and tell the people, this is what God has instructed. And with each revelation, with each word of of God that, that God would give to his people through Moses, they would understand him more. They would grow closer with him. The intimacy between God and his people would grow. More and more they would know this is our God, how wonderful he is. Through Moses, the Lord was instructing the people, assuring them, look, I am holy because I'm God the Lord. Our relationship technically shouldn't be possible because because." of my holiness and and your unholiness because of how sinful you are. But look, I'm making it possible. I'm making a way for you to be able to be with me, for me to live in your midst. The way of salvation is open for you. God gave Moses all of the instructions for this. They had all the instructions about how God should be worshiped. Through Moses, God taught about sacrifices for sins. He taught them how to live in, in love for each other. He taught them how to have justice and equity in their land, how to live well, how to live in prosperity as God's people. God made himself known through this very great prophet, through Moses. And during the course of Israel's history, God continued to to give that gift, raising up other prophets who would say to the people, thus says the Lord. But what do we see there? God's people were always sliding backward, always turning away from God, ignoring the words of his prophets, even killing them. This is something that Stephen accuses the Jewish leaders of in Acts chapter 7. He says, was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous ones. So they, they rejected the words of the prophets. They killed the prophets. Even though the prophets revealed the very word of God to God's people, they still didn't get it. They didn't get it. They they couldn't understand fully their sinfulness and God's salvation. They didn't understand fully what was necessary for God to be completely reconciled to his people. If they realized exactly what was going on and what was coming, they would have been overcome Absolutely overcome with the realization of God's incredible love for them. What was God willing to do for them? This is what's proclaimed by the prophets. This is, this is what was prophesied about the coming salvation. What was God willing to do for his people? They couldn't see fully, they couldn't see with perfect clarity yet, the devastating penalty that there actually was. For sins. They couldn't see with perfect clarity how God would take it away through his only and beloved Son. Even for the prophets, for the prophets themselves, this salvation of God was shrouded in mystery. We read this in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, so salvation through Jesus Christ... So concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So even the very prophets that were, so like even Isaiah himself who who recorded the words of Isaiah 53, this Incredible messianic prophecy about the sufferings of Christ being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Even for these prophets, it was still dimly lit. Salvation was coming, but it wasn't entirely and perfectly clear how that was going to happen. It wasn't unlocked yet. When we read passages like we read from Exodus 33, how the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, like a man speaks with his friend, and we think of what that must have looked like—the glory cloud hovering over the the people, guiding them through the desert. We think of the magnificence of the fire and smoke and earthquakes and all of this this theophany, this God revelation on the on the mountain of. Uh, On Mount Sinai, we think, man, it would have been incredible to be there. Wish I could be there and see that. that. That must do something for one's faith, to see God in that way. To hear the divine wisdom God gave through Moses. To see all those miracles he performed in Egypt and, and, and afterward. We think that would do something extra for us. But consider this. Moses, while the greatest prophet ever in the Old Testament history of God's people. For everything he did. As high and lofty a position as he has as one of these great prophets, he couldn't give full salvation. Moses could not reveal everything. He couldn't teach the people. He couldn't get it through to them enough to prevent them from unbelief, to prevent them from falling away. He couldn't reveal the fullness of salvation in full light for everyone to see a prophet greater than Moses was needed. The prophet greater than Moses, one who would finally unlock and show absolutely everything. As we read in Deuteronomy 18, God told Moses about this prophet who was coming. I will raise up for them, God is telling Moses about Israel, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. So yes, God indeed raised up other prophets, but the one to come, the one, the one that the Lord is telling Moses about here, the Messiah, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God himself. We read in our text, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, right, and this is a most gracious and loving act of God, that he would make himself known to his people like this, that he would would open our eyes in this way and guide us in salvation. But then we read here, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. By his Son. This prophet, Jesus Christ, the one who would teach what other prophets could not, God's people were desperately waiting for him. <clears throat> this prophet, our Lord Jesus Christ, he could reveal the love of God like no other prophet could. And everybody knew he was coming. Everybody was. Full of anticipation. How exciting that he was coming. Read in John 1, verse 45, Philip tells Nathaniel. so after they hear that Jesus has come, Philip says to Nathanael, you know, guess what? The prophet that Moses wrote about, the one that the other prophets talked about, he's here. Finally, he's here. Let's go follow him. He's here. We read of this expectation in John 4 when Jesus is at the well with the Samaritan woman. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he does, he will explain everything to us. There's this idea that we, yes, there was a, a, a realization for them that, yes, we don't know everything yet, but the prophet like Moses is going to come, and finally, we're going to get the whole story. Acts 3 verse 22, Peter is explaining to the crowd how he had healed the beggar. He did it in the name of Jesus, the one who was appointed for these things. And he quotes Moses, the verses that we read. He says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. This is Jesus. And then he gives this command to the people, you must do everything he tells you. Everybody knew he was coming. It's only through this, Jesus Christ, that we can know that we can truly know God's salvation. Not only because when when Jesus arrived and when he was performing his earthly ministry, not only because he opened up the Old Testament scriptures and proclaimed God's will as the chief prophet and teacher. He said, this is what these passages are really about. They're They're about me. Right? So, not only did he open the scriptures for his people in a way that no other prophet ever could, but he lived it. He performed it. He actually carried out God's salvation. In the past, God had taught his people in so many different ways, with so many different images and pictures and rituals. All of these things were teaching God's people. Right, the, the sacrifices, the ceremonies, all of these things were teaching his people, I am holy, and you are sinful, and you need to be delivered and cleansed from this sin so that we can be together, so that we can be reconciled. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus himself who ripped back the curtain to show what salvation actually meant. Without the coming of Jesus Christ, without his work, it would be impossible to know the immeasurable cost of that salvation. Without the coming of Jesus Christ, we would have no idea the measure of God's incredible love for us. This is something Paul says to the church at Ephesus. Uh, At the end of Ephesians 3, he says it in I want you to know, to be able to comprehend with all the saints how wide, how deep, how long, how far is the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That's the gift of God, that we would know these things. That we would know the salvation of God. That we would know the love that he has for us. That he would be willing to provide a salvation like this. That God himself would become a man and suffer and die and undergo his own, and, and, and bear on his own head the penalty, the curse for our sins. Romans 5, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The prophets saw this. They predicted this, but they saw it and they told it only as much as they could. It was shrouded in mystery. But Jesus came. Jesus opened the scriptures. Jesus performed it and lived it and showed it. Jesus caused the glory of the Lord to shine in the world like it never had before. Through Jesus' revelation of the salvation of God, we're finally able to recognize the fullness of God's riches for us. All of those riches that were hidden away, concealed in the Old Testament Scriptures, they've been unearthed. They've been put on display by God himself for us through Jesus Christ. What a prophet. What a prophet. And he not only taught about this during his ministry, he not only brought it all about as the suffering servant, as the bringer of salvation. But today, he continues to be our chief prophet and teacher. He gives us his spirit to live in us, to open our hearts, to illumine our minds, so that we can understand this, so that we can get it, so that we can accept this wonderful gospel of salvation, so that we can be saved in his name. Through Jesus Christ, we can know, we can comprehend with all the saints how high, how deep, how far, how long, and how wide is the love of God for us. Jesus turned the light on. He turned the light on so that we can see that he is the only way to God. There is one mediator between God and man. Not not hundreds like spokes on a wheel. Jesus is the one way. He is the truth and the life. And he will continue to guide you, guide you in the truth, teach you in the way that you should go. He is our great prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to you God's will for your salvation and for your life. Amen.